There is a name I call in my troubles. There is a word I speak to my fears. There is a power to silence my worries. Let it ring out for the whole world to hear. Jesus, your name is light in the
living hope. Thank you, dear Heavenly Father, for the salvation that you have provided, the hope that you have provided. Our God is alive. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. As we hear your word preached and proclaimed now, our hearts are open to you. May we respond in obedience to what you're calling us to do. We ask these things in Jesus' name. May be Jana, thank wow. <laughs> thank you so much for that ministry that you have initiated called uh, First Footsteps. Where are we on this thing? Got it? Thank you. That is such a cool ministry. And, and thinking about all these Bibles, I, I want you to understand that this is not like a, a one-time event. Uh, Baptist Hospital gives, uh, they have about... Um, a hundred births per month, I think it is. And so this is ongoing. That's why we're establishing that in the budget. And this will be ongoing uh, as long as God continues to use this ministry. Couldn't think of a better person, David, to have you as a legend for 40 years over there at Baptist Hospital. And to know that your predecessor or your successor, Greg Schwartz, is doing a tremendous job. He is carrying on. I'm so glad that Greg is a part of our church. He couldn't be here today. But thank you for just a tremendous, so cool. I mean, these kids are going to have their footprints in these Bibles, and then parents will be directed to, to how they can take some first steps as parenting. So cool. Thank you for doing that. Good to be back with you guys. Um, I want to thank Jeff and Stephen for doing such a, a marvelous job over the last couple of weeks speaking while we were out. Uh, enjoyed listening to both of those. Stephen kind of made me laugh because he was talking about moving and how challenging moving can be. That's what I've been doing for the last two weeks. Michelle and I have been. We uh, flew up to Washington, D.C. That's where our daughter, son-in-law, and four granddaughters have lived for the last three years. And we helped them to load up a U-Haul and a van. And then we flew back to Houston. And then we drove up to Fort Worth. And we helped them unload the U-Haul and set up a house up there. So for the last two weeks, I've not had an intelligent thought. It just said, uh, where does this box go? Where does that box go? But it's been a wonderful experience, and we're glad that we don't have to get on a plane to see our grandkids anymore. Now we can get in a car. But they did such a good job, didn't they? Thanks to those two guys for, for doing such a wonderful job in speaking. Well, even though we are already 124th of the way through 2023, we're all still thinking about some positive changes we're hoping to make during this year. And as we think about our relationship with God, probably all of us are thinking about something that we wish we could improve on in this coming year. Let's just think about it for a second. Given the chance, you were asked, what is the one thing that you would like to see grow, improve, to be stretched in in your relationship with God over this next year? What would your answer be? What would you like to do better? Well, my guess is that at least 75% of us would probably say, I would like to do better in the area of prayer. Prayer is a common concern for many Christians. It has been throughout the millennia. And it's been one of those issues that has stressed Christians 
many, many times. Martin, Martin, Lloyd, Joyne, Martin Lloyd Jones was a minister at Westminster Chapel for three decades over in London has enormous influence, outsized influence, both over in Europe and around the world, even to this day. He once noted that he had never written on prayer because of his own sense of personal inadequacy in prayer. In an interview with Timothy Keller after his retirement, he was asked, what would you change if you could go back and be a pastor and do it all over again? His singular reply was, I would pray more. We all want to do better in prayer, and we probably all acknowledge we feel as if we're somewhat inadequate. And as we come to James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18, the brother of Jesus, a half-brother of Jesus, gives us a template that will help us to find better success in the area of prayer. You can find it in James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. If you uh, need a Bible, the Pew Bible in front of you is going to be on page 184 and 180, 1884 and 1885. I'd like to read it together, and maybe just to keep you a little bit more energized, let's stand together as we read this, this passage of Scripture, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. It says in James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18, when James is writing about us resembling more of who Christ is, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crop. Thus is the word of the Lord. God, we pray that you would help us now to better understand what your word says to us, individually and collectively. Help us to experience worship over your word in the way that it is designed to impact us privately as well as corporately, to recognize what needs to be adjusted in our own lives as well as in the life of our church and the community of the kingdom of God. We pray that you would direct us, Lord, that you would be here. We never presume upon your presence. We ask that your spirit would speak to us as we need to hear in Christ's name we ask. Amen. You can remain standing. I'm just kidding. Be seated. It's a, what? What'd you do over the last couple of weeks? Well, it's a prayer template. You know, we're, we've been in this series. We kind of had to straddle over the, 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 uh, the Christmas season. We did Ancestry.what. Uh, and now we're kind of finishing out this series in the book of James and the book of Jude. Both were half-brothers of Jesus. We called it family resemblance because God's Word always calls us to resemble Christ, our Savior and Lord. And today we have a template for prayer. But I want to make a couple of statements that, that go with and with, other with this passage and other passages of Scripture about prayer that's so important for us to realize. When we think of prayer, think relationally, not transactional. Think relational, not transactional. We live in a world of shopping carts. Whether it's online or in a brick-and-mortar building, we're used to transactions. We fill up a cart with what we want, we go to pay, we give what's required, we always get what we want. And oftentimes, we treat prayer like that. 
like it's a cart to be filled up with what we want. It's a transaction that we have with God. You do this, I will do this, we'll all be square, even, and happy. But as we see James throughout this book, he's always pushing us and giving us opportunities to mature in our faith. Every chapter is an invitation for maturity in the Christian faith. Hebrews 5, verse 14, says maturity is, is, is knowing the difference between right and wrong and then doing what is right. And James continually invites us to do that. And here we have another chance of growing and maturing in the area of prayer. James had heard his brother Jesus talk about prayer many times. And one of the things he noted was, it was always relational, not transactional. It wasn't some kind of deal or barter system. It was a relationship. Prayer was always relational to Jesus. And that's why his disciples were so interested in hearing him pray and hearing him pray and inviting him to teach them to pray. And how did Jesus teach us to pray? Our Father who art in heaven. Relational. It's the beginning point of prayer. It's a conversation between our loving Heavenly Father and those who acknowledge Him as Lord over all. So think of prayer, and it's hard, especially in our culture. It's hard to think of prayer as relational because we think of it as transactional. We want God to give us something. But think for a moment, what would it be like if you were God and people were always coming to you asking you for something? It wouldn't be a very healthy relationship, would it? God wants us to engage in relationship with him. The second thing for us to note about prayer is think others and not just self. Have you ever noticed how self-absorbed our prayers can be? How we get fixated on our own life experience, our family, our work, our situation, the difficulties, the adversities that we're facing. And when James listened to Jesus teach about prayer, he noted how oftentimes in this relational prayer, he would refer to others, not so much things, but others. In the model prayer, time and again, he used the pronouns like ours and us to communicate community. Prayer is not just about self, but it's about others as well. Have you ever heard of someone's situation and people are invited to pray? It's a very difficult situation in their life. And you thought or said something like this, I don't know what I would do if that happened to me. And here is somebody in a very difficult situation and our thought gravitates to what would I do in that situation, rather than what could I do for them. And so for what James is stretching us to do, as all of Scripture does, is to think of others and not just self when it comes to prayer. And he continues in that same vein as we continue down this way. Now, I'm going to ask you to, to participate in something this morning. There's an index card. There are index cards at the end of your row. If you begin to go ahead and pass those out, I'd like for everyone to get an index card. And we're going to give you a couple of directives uh, about that. As we think of prayer being relational and not just transactional, as we think of it being about others and not just about self, I want you to, first of all, print. I know some of you have wonderful cursive writing. Some of you have horrible writing. 
And so we're going to ask you to print your name and your cell phone number. This information is not going to be abused. This is going to be something that we will use as an exercise of praying for one another uh, throughout this week. At the top of the card, you can put West G and the number 8. West Gate. And the number 8 is going to be a reminder for us to pray for other people. So you're printing right now your name and your cell phone number. And if you only have a landline number, you can put that and just note landline. And the reason we put cell phone number in there is just so that we might be able to send a text uh, if it wasn't convenient or appropriate to call. And the number eight is a great reminder that we can be praying for someone at eight in the morning or eight at night. And because we have their phone number there, it's also a great reminder corporately throughout the world. It's just not very polite or wise to text or call before eight or after eight. And I, and I know that for some of you, eight in the morning, you've already been at work for several hours. But there are some people in our church that they're not waking up until eight. And I know some of you stay up till midnight working on very important things that have to do with remote control. But many people go to bed early. So it's just a good rule of thumb. Good rule of thumb. Don't text or call anybody before 8 in the morning. Don't text or call anybody after 8 at night. And I know I violate that on the birthday calls. I'm going to try to do a little bit better to call earlier in the day. I remember uh, a number of years ago, we had a church member named Carl Birdsong. Some of you will remember him. Carl went to bed before the sun went down, and I called for his birthday one time at eight at night. It was not a good call. He was as mad as a hornet that I had woken him up. It was not a celebration. It was, I do not like you. And so anyway, just good encouragement. So put your print your name and your cell phone number and put West G8 at the top. Got that? All right, let's look at this prayer template for a couple of minutes in James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. Again, in the Pew Bible, 1884 through 1885, if you need to look at it. This is going to, we have so many different ways of praying. And you, you use maybe acrostics or strategies or ideas that help you to focus on prayer. If we are not intentional, prayer will kind of drift into one particular category. And we somewhat get a little bit rutted there. James is helping us to see the dynamic of prayer spans the spectrum of human emotion and human experiences. And so we're going to use this as a, as a little tool for reminding us of things to pray about and to include in our prayers. And the first is problems. The P stands for problems. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let him pray. Now, the word that is used there in the original language could refer to any number, infinite number of problems internally or externally. It could be something inside of you that just doesn't seem right, or it could be the circumstances and the situations that are pressing against you. The word that he uses there is very broad. And we know that prayer, many times, we include our problems that we are facing. Uh, David Mosley reminded me a couple of months ago when it came out in October about Collins Dictionary defining permacrisis as the 2022 word of the year. 
Permacrisis was a word that was used in the academic context in the 1970s, and it was defined as an extended period of instability and insecurity. The, the consultant at Collins Dictionary, Helen Newstead, said, I think it does resonate as something everyone can relate to, lurching from one crisis to another without really drawing a breath. Some of you feel like you're experiencing permacrisis. It's one problem after another. And that's why James begins by saying, if anyone among you is in trouble, let him pray. It's an invitation to pray. And if anybody knew about prayer, it was James. Eusebius would write and say that his knees were as hard as a camel because he spent so much time in prayer. And much of his prayer was for other people, praying over others. Friends, life without Christ is indeed a permacrisis. But with Christ, we can take our problems to him. It doesn't mean they will be instantly solved, but we know that he is our advocate and he can strengthen us in the midst of the problems. Sometimes he takes us out of the storm, and sometimes he strengthens us in the midst of the storm. The R, if you've written the word prayer somewhere, just using this as a tool as you pray for other people throughout the coming weeks, the R stands for rejoice. Notice what it says. Is anyone happy? Anybody happy here today? If you're happy and you know it. You know, are you happy? Well, you know, how often times do we pray when, things, when we're happy? He says, if you're, if you're happy, let them sing songs of praise. And that references to the, the dynamic of, of prayer. When we're singing, we are praying praise to God. And I want you to be reminded that when we sing corporately like this, we're also singing to one another. It's an encouragement. Uh, we were up where our, our son-in-law and, and, and daughter were a part of a church called Capitol Hill Baptist Church. I think most of you have heard about that, but they have a, a very important understanding of singing that I think it should, all, it should be embraced by all Christians that we sing to one another. Uh, it's kind of weird sometimes because the staff, you know, they, they, they have a, a, a sanctuary in the round. And sometimes they'll just kind of turn around and start singing to you. It feels a little bit weird. But the idea is that we sing to each other to encourage each other in the faith. Sometimes we pray about things, and, and we pray, and we pray, and we pray, and then it happens, and we're happy, and we forget to rejoice and thank God for it. When we were up in Washington, D.C., the first time that we went up there was in the year 2020, and I took a walk one day, and if you remember 2020 much about that, this was before the pandemic, was, well, actually, it was right as the pandemic began, and I went to the Supreme Court, and I prayed over the issue of abortion, just putting my hands on the doors and having this idea that I'm praying, but it will never change. And then God did an, a, just a miraculous thing in redirecting the Supreme Court justices in a decision. And so this last time, I said, God, I can't leave without going. And our kids said, you know, Dad, you can go inside the Supreme Court now. You don't have to stand outside, you can go inside. So I got to walk inside of the Supreme Court, go all the way in, and you can't go all the way into the courtroom, but you can stand in this roped off area and you can see the nine black chairs and the big bench. I was just able to stand there and pray and rejoice over an answer to prayer. We need to rejoice when God answers prayers. And that's a part of prayer is to rejoice 
in it. The A stands for aches. This is a really challenging passage of scripture, so let's kind of stay with it here. But in verse 14, he says, anyone among you, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, this is the only passage in the, in the New Testament in which we're directed to use oil as we pray over someone. And this passage is oftentimes misunderstood. You will recall during the pandemic, uh, a large megachurch with global influence uh, had a young girl die in their church. And they refused, the pastoral leadership refused to believe that she could not be resurrected from the dead. And so they left her body out in the sanctuary for people to come and pray because they believed that she would be resurrected. Now you would have heard the rest of that story if she had, but she wasn't. Such heartache. There's this belief that, that this is a promise. If you do this, this will happen. Scripture doesn't teach that. The balance of Scripture, we're reminded to pray like this, but we always trust in the sovereignty of God. He is the one that will decide. It says, is anyone among you sick? Aches, that's what that A stands for. Let them, and listen to the sequence, the way it plays out here. Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them. So the initiative starts not with the leadership of the church, but the initiative starts with those who are sick. Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them. The implication seems to be that they are bedridden and cannot make their way to the church. And so they need someone to come and pray and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. You probably wonder, how many times has this happened in my life? I've been a pastor for almost 36 years. How many times? Twice. We had a church member, and both of them at Westgate. Had a church member that called me up, was in the hospital, and said, would you please come and anoint me with oil? I had never done with that before. I come from Baptist background. And I did not have a point of reference for that. So I called some friends and talked with them about it. They didn't have any point of reference. Went down to Lifeway, and I got some, uh, some anointing oil. Looked like chapstick. Put on your thumb and put on it. Then many years passed, and I lost that little thing of oil, and so I got another one here, and I keep this in my desk, and it is olive oil from Israel. Not that it's magic, and that's the part of the passage that we need to see. I keep that in my desk, and someone not too terribly long ago asked if we could come and anoint with oil and pray. And so we did. Anoint with the oil in the name of the Lord. What does the oil stand for? Is it medicinal? There's so, much, so many different thoughts about this passage, like, like the olive oil itself is gonna heal. The healing is not in the oil. The healing is in the Lord. That's where the healing comes from, and that's why it says anoint with oil, symbolically representing the presence of God. Anointing in the Bible is a setting apart, is to say that this person has been set apart for a, a unique situation, for a unique time, for a unique experience. You're saying, God, we are anointing with oil in obedience to you, trusting you in the name of Christ as to what will happen. Friends, we should be praying over our affirmities that we have in life. And you can put affirmities, it's actually infirmities instead of aches. 
you could pray over all of those. We should be praying over those. And that doesn't mean that we call the church every time we feel something that come over and anoint with oil. This is a, a very serious situation which someone is bedridden, they can't get out, and they're calling out to God. As we pray, we can pray about the aches in our lives, the physical as well as the emotional infirmities that we have. The why is for yearning. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, the Lord will raise him up. Really challenging passage of scripture. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. So many have taken this out of context to say that this is a promise from God. Faith healers, people that will say, you don't have enough faith, that's why you're still sick. The only problem with that is Paul had a lot of faith. And he prayed three times that God would remove the thorn from him, and it did not happen. See, it's not a promise. It is a procedure that we will pray in faith, trusting God to bring healing. And it is a challenging passage. The Lord will raise him up. The word there is literally to be resurrected, that they'll be restored. And we have all known of godly people that have prayed just like this, and this didn't happen. And we've known of others that it did happen. This is not a promise. It is a protocol for the church to embrace as we pray for one another. But the yearning is the prayer offered in faith. It is a yearning for God to do something. Friends, do you have a yearning for God to do something big, significant in your life? I hope we do that we would, we truly would yearn for God to do something great. I remember years ago, and it really kind of goes with the second point about rejoicing, but years ago, I mean, it was 20 years ago, I guess, we had a retired pastor that was, I mean, he was, it was good that he was retired because he was pretty cranky. And he wasn't a member of the church. He was just visiting. And he came by and he caught me at the door. And he grabbed me and he said, Pastor, you've got a problem. And I thought, well, I, I know I got a lot of problems. What, what is it? And he said, your associate pastor, Jeff, it's all Jeff's fault. Your associate pastor, he had his hands up when we were singing. I didn't know what to say to the guy. But in my mind, I was thinking the problem would be if you joined our church. That would be the problem. And when we think about that, do we have a yearning for God to show up and for us to experience God in our prayers? Or is it a duty? J.I. Packer talks about moving from duty to delight, that that's what we want to do in prayer, and sometimes it feels like duty, and it is a responsibility to pray, but we want to move from duty to delight. That's why my verse of scripture for this year is, is Psalm 37, verse four, delight yourself in the Lord. And you'll say, well, and he will give you the desires of your heart. No, 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 that, that, that's not included in what I'm praying. I just want to delight in the Lord, regardless of what happens. Just to delight in the Lord, to have that yearning. And then the, the next passage of scripture, we're going to skip just a little bit. Uh, James wasn't trying to set us up with this little tool for prayer the way I'm setting it up. So we're going to skip down a couple verses uh, to 17. And talk about being earnest Earnesty is, is, is a word that could be used there. Maybe it's not the best, but earnest. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed 
earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Elijah was a human being who did remarkable things. He had remarkable eight known miracles that Elijah performed, and Mount Carmel is the one that we're referencing here. If you go back to 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18, and he prayed and had that great victory over the prophets of Baal, and then Jezebel, the queen, said, I will make sure that you are dead just like those prophets by tomorrow. And we know that Elijah began to run, and he was scared, and he became depressed. He, sometimes we, we take people from the Bible and we elevate them beyond what they really are. And it says, here's, here's James saying, he was a person like us. Yet he prayed earnestly. And it literally quit raining, and he prayed earnestly, and it literally began to rain. And how did he pray earnestly? You remember the, 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 uh, the battle at Mount Carmel? Remember how earnestly he prayed there that fire would come down from heaven, and it did? And he had this incredible victory. And then he went up to the, the peak of the mountain, and he began to pray for, for rain to come. And do you remember how many times he prayed? Not once, not twice, not three times, not four times, not five times, not six times. But how many times did he pray? Seventh time when he sent his servant back, said, I see a, a fist-sized cloud. Good, God's going to answer the prayer. That's the earnesty of praying. And God says, James is reminding us to pray with earnest, earnesty. Sometimes we're more earnest about what happens at Walmart, Target, Amazon, Dillard's, or the Dow Jones. Our enthusiasm is greater for a bargain or a sale or a profit rather than for what God might do in our life through prayer. And the R is for repentance. Go back up to verse 15. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Talking about this sickness, and we say, wait a second, you're saying the people that are sick are sinners? Yes, we're all sinners. That doesn't mean that your sickness is because of your sin. John chapter 9 verifies that in which Jesus said, it's not because this guy was a sinner or his parents. It's for God's glory. But it reminds us that sometimes sickness is a part of our sin and it reminds us to direct our attention to God, to recognize that our spiritual well-being is more important than our physical well-being. That's when Jesus, after he'd healed a man, he said to him, don't sin because something worse might happen to you than what you have been experiencing. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed as being honest and transparent. It doesn't mean that you have times in which everybody gets up and tells about all the bad things that they did. But as entrusted relationships, we are transparent with one another and we acknowledge our sinfulness. You remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, which we're talking about the Lord's Supper? You remember in that particular passage of Scripture when Paul was saying, he was saying that some of you are sick because of your sin. And so we need to repent in the midst of our prayers. In Luke chapter 18, verse 13, 
It says that the publican was a man who stood over by the side and he beat his chest, wouldn't even look up to heaven and said, Lord, would you have mercy on me, a sinner? That is repentance, it's turning away from our sins. See, prayer is something that I don't feel like I have begun to even remotely tap in my life. Reading a quote by Timothy Keller, he says, prayer is rebellion against the evil status quo of the world. Are we rebelling against the evil status quo of the world? Are we just going along with the evil status quo of the world? Prayer is our avenue to rebel against it as we use this prayer tool. So, would you print, pull out your index card right now. Would you, would you pull, that, pull that out? I hope everybody got an index card. And if you would print the letters to prayer, P-R-A-Y-E-R, on your card. So you should have on your white index card your name and your cell phone number. And then you will print out prayer. Just write the word prayer. And if, if you would just take a moment and I'd like for you to circle the letter that best describes what you need most in prayer right now in your life. Is it a problem that you're dealing with? Is it rejoicing that you need help in just rejoicing more? Do you have aches, infirmities that need prayer? Do you want that person to be praying for you to have a yearning after God? Would the E stand for just an earnestness, much like Elijah in your prayers? And would you be so bold as to put, circle the R maybe, even to say, I need to repent. There's something in my life, sin that has a stronghold. So important for us to pray for one another. And now, if you could quietly just circle that letter where you most need prayer in your life. Now, if you would just pass them this way, so the person at the end of this row and this row, this row, and this row should all get cards. So just pass them this way. So you should have your name printed your cell phone number, and you should have the word prayer written out there, and you have circled one letter that identifies what you need most in your life to be prayed for now. And once you've passed them all the way to the end, would this row right here, you people that collected the cards, and you with cards over here, would you switch? Just give you cards, and we're going to distribute them throughout. Over here and over here, outer sections, if you would switch. So that everybody else gets someone else's card. I know it's chaotic. I'm not a good leader. I'm just trying to get the... If you want to keep your own card and pray for yourself, that's all right. But the idea is to pray for other people. But just flip-flop. If you just want to throw them back somewhere, and people will grab a card. Main thing is you don't end up with your own card is what we're trying to do. Once you get different cards, go back and just start distributing. Just pass them down the aisles.
Passing out cards could be more complicated than praying. And understand the objective as you receive this card is now you have the privilege of praying for someone else here. You have an extra card? If you have an extra card, if you don't yet have a card, just raise your hand. And if you have extra cards, if you just make sure they get there to, the, to them. Just hold your hand up if you don't yet have a card. I tried to judge by the sizes of the sections to get them balanced out, but we didn't. Now, here's the, okay, we still have a few that do not yet have a card. Does anybody have extra cards? Some extra cards, okay. Some of you guys could help us out with that. I'm sorry to delay you, but I think this is really important that everybody have a card. And again, the, the, the parameters are real simple. It's just at 8 in the morning or 8 in the evening, and, and you can do it any other time. Just use that as a, as a clue to pray for someone at Westgate and pray over what they have said is significant, a significant need in their life that they put down on that card. And then you may want to send them a text, and, and I would encourage you to maybe try to stretch beyond just, I prayed for you today. Um, maybe something else than just, I prayed for you. It may be a phone call in which you connect with somebody. Maybe you pray with them over the phone. Maybe you go out to lunch. We still have some more. Uh, Jeff, do you have extra cards? We just have people that don't have them. Does anybody not have a card? We should equal, have the same number of cards. <laughs> you are seeing leadership at its worst right here. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, that I, I'm sorry I, I didn't do this well. And if, okay, somebody, you know, it says, confess your sins to one another. If you didn't fill out a card and you grabbed a card, you're hijacking somebody else's card, okay? <laughs> so if you're feeling guilty about that, then fill out a card and leave it at the communication desk and we will try to make it, get an extra one, okay? All right, well, I want to say to all of us, as we go into this year, I want us to, to pray and to truly delight ourselves in the Lord. Uh, and some of you that are gathered here, maybe you're uh, not yet a Christian, I want you to know the greatest news of all. And that is that God loves you. If you've ever wondered what God's thoughts are about you, he loves you. And he's created you to have a relationship with him. Many things that you will do in your life, but nothing more significant than having a relationship with him because that's why he's created you. The problem is, is our rebellion. That's why we need to repent in prayer because we rebel against God. And when we rebel against God, that separates us from God. And that creates an enormous problem. A loving God's created us, have a relationship with him, but because of our sin, we can't. And that's why Jesus came. Thankfully, Jesus can make us right with God for all of eternity. He's the one that's done the heavy lifting. What we have to do is repent of our sins. 
That means to turn away from our sins, to say, I, I want you more than I want my sin. That's what repentance is. And fully surrender our life to Jesus Christ. That means, God, I'm giving you the keys to my life. Full control of my life. If you've never done that, I'm going to lead us in what we call a life-changing prayer around here in which you enter into a relationship with God by inviting him. If you, if you are earnestly believing in Christ to be your Lord and Savior, he will be. He'll redeem you. But that just is the beginning point. And for all of us as Christians in this room, truly to fully surrender our life to Christ, but to be aware of how we can share this simple gospel truth. The gospel is God's plan to rescue us from sin. How we share that with other people. So let's pray together. And if you've never received Christ, I would invite you to voice a prayer similar to the one that I will pray. And if you're already a Christian, pray for someone that you know has not yet crossed the line to follow after Christ. Lord, we thank you for your guidance that you give us in your word. We pray that as we have considered what James, who modeled prayer so well with the, just the way that he lived his life, that we would recognize that, that prayer is the greatest privilege that we have. Every other faith system cries out to something, and we cry out to you as our creator and sustainer. Lord, we know that some may be with us this morning in this room or listening online have never decided to become a follower of you. They've thought about it, but not yet. Might they voice a prayer similar to this, a prayer that's not magical, it's not, just like the oil, it's not magical, it's just an avenue for connecting with you. But a very important prayer nonetheless that goes like this, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have, and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Lord, if you would allow me to confess in front of this congregation that you blessed me to lead, that my prayer life is not what I want, and I long to delight in you through prayer and relationship with you, to spend more time praying for other people, taking the focus off of self. God, would you bless us this week as we, we go through a simple exercise of prayer, praying for one another, being reminded that someone else besides me needs prayer. To look at that simple word of prayer and recognize what is most needed in their life. Help us to be good, godly followers of you this week. Thank you for this congregation. Lord, I love them, miss being with them. Thank you for the privilege of being pastor. Thank you for the opportunity to walk through life together, through the problems as well as the rejoicings, the aches and the times of yearning and not yearning, times of being earnest and not so earnest, times of repentance. Lord, may your favor and blessing be upon each and every one of them. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we stand together for this time of commitment as we sing. It's really just our last song of worship and our response to God. And if you need to respond to God in prayer of some type, 
deacons will be at the end of each one of these aisles. The deacon and their wife will be there. I'll be standing at the cross, or you can meet us out in the atrium after the service. Let's respond to God now uh, as we sing. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe out of the silence the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me then came the